Well, I hope you had a wonderful Christmas, whatever that means for you, whatever and however you were able to to celebrate, whether it was busy or or relaxed, uh, I do pray it was was blessed. Uh, Somebody asked me this week, they said, kind of, you know, what's the... What's the difference, or how do you kind of experience that, that the, the, the contrast between a Christmas Eve service, which is so kind of full, and um, full with music and so many things happening, and then the, the, the following Sunday. And, um, and I love Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is absolutely one of my, if not my favorite, worship service of the year. But I really love the Sunday after. Um, for very, very different reasons, because the Sunday after Christmas, you know, I, I, when I was talking to somebody, I said, it's kind of like if you've ever um, hosted a, a big party at your house, or, or you've been the, the host or hostess for a you know, big celebration, and, and there's so much to do, and it goes great, and everything's wonderful, but, but everybody's left, and, and you're kind of then, you just gather with your immediate family or just a smaller group of your friends, and you just kind of relax. You know, the kind of that feeling, the, the celebration's over, everything's been great, now you just kind of spend a little time together in a, in a more relaxed um, atmosphere. And that's kind of what Sunday after Christmas feels like. And we just kind of gathered back together and we worship and we continue the celebration. But it's, it's kind of like that smaller, smaller family gathering. Because if you were here for Christmas Eve, you know there was nothing small. I mean, we were, we were jammed. And if you came at four o'clock and you didn't come early, that's your fault. I told you. So, um, but it was, it was really good. And, and thanks everybody who was, who was a part of that. And, uh, you know, as John said, we're, we're now actually in Christmas. Christmas is the 12 days between uh, the birth of Jesus and, and, and Epiphany. And so we are actually in the Christmas season. We kind of, we mislabel it. You know, we talk about December being the Christmas season. Christmas season actually doesn't begin until Christmas. I know that's way overthinking for some of you, but that's kind of the way that works. And, um, and we mark the Christian calendar by seasons, uh, you know, that's kind of the, the rhythm of the, the church year. We were in the season of Advent. We're in the season of Christmas. We'll, we'll get into the season of Lent in anticipation of the celebration of Easter. There's these seasons that kind of mark the rhythm of the year. And, and what we do in a, in a spiritual sense also happens in a secular sense, in, a, in our cultural seasons. We have, you know, we had the shopping season, which starts about July, and that lasts until about Christmas, right? Um, and you've got... Uh, right now, if you're a sports fan, if you're a sports fan, it's bowl season. College bowl, we've, we've, we've had, I don't see near as much red here today as I have in weeks past. Um, sorry, sorry. Um, but, uh, but there is some orange, I do, yeah, I see some orange over there. But, uh, but anyway, but it's, it's, it's bowl. And and, um, you know, the, the year is kind of marked out by that. And we're actually getting ready to hit another of the, the, the secular seasons if you're an entertainment fan, a movie fan. And that is award season, right? If, if you follow those kind of things, next week is the Golden Globes. And in February, February 9th is the Academy Awards. And between those two shows, there'll be a whole bunch of other smaller award shows. I... Um, I don't know if that's important. I don't follow any of that. I really could care less. But that's just me. That's not anything wrong. Some of you could care less about football. I don't know why, but you do. Um, but, but the point is, we're into this. Now, 
Here's the thing about the, the awards season. It always, with the celebrities, the shows always begin with the red carpet, right? The, the celebrities making their grand entrance and the cameras and the, the interviews and stuff. And, and they kind of, it's their spotlight, if you will. It was in 1995, I noticed that, Joan Rivers, of all people, Joan Rivers was on the red carpet doing one of her shows that she was doing at the time. And she, she rephrased a familiar question. The familiar question was to ask the, the stars, most often the actresses, um, who designed your dress? Who was the designer? Or how did you pick this? Or something about the clothing they were wearing. But in 1995, Joan Rivers asked it like this. She said, who are you wearing? Who are you wearing? That's where the que- at least the research I did, which... Um, admittedly wasn't the most thorough, it was a sight or two, so, you know, at least according to my sources, um, who are you wearing kind of became part of the, the, um, the vernacular, kind of one of those phrases that, that we've somewhat, again, if you've watched this, have probably gotten familiar with, I don't even know if they still ask that question, but the idea is tell us about this clothing, Tell us about this dress and whoever chose it for you, because I don't think they choose their own clothes. You know, who's the designer and, and, and what's significant about it? Who are you wearing? But I, I thought that was a good question to phrase and to really frame our thinking this morning about this text in Colossians. Because I, I believe what Paul's asking the church, what Paul would ask of us, is that very same question Who are you wearing? Who are you wearing? So let's read from Colossians chapter 3. We're going to pick it up at verse 12. This is what Paul writes of the, to the church. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, speak to us and challenge us and and move us into the next season of faith and faithfulness. As we are open to your Holy Spirit and we seek to be uh, instruments of your divine purpose. Speak to us now, we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. Who are you wearing? There is a, a rubric that was was an instruction, if you will, to that that's been found from the fourth century. And it was an instruction to, to bishops as to how to conduct baptisms. And the way that this rubric, I'm not saying this was done everywhere, but, but in this 
part of, of, the, uh, of um, Europe at the time, the instruction was that when the candidates were coming for baptism, the, the, and these would be male candidates, you'd have to segregate men and women for this kind of a, a, a baptism experience, and you'll understand why in just a moment, the, the bishop would give the instructions to those coming for baptism, take off your clothes. Take off your clothes. And the candidate would literally strip naked for baptism. Would take off everything they were wearing and, and they would be baptized. You ever thought you'd ever hear that in church? The instructions, take off your clothes. But that's the instructions they were given. Again, this is why it would just be men together for this. But the idea was to, to live into one of the phrases that, that we use in, in rituals uh, and church uh, um, uh, liturgies is it's an outward and a visible sign of an inward and a spiritual grace. And that's what this was meant to be. It was meant to be symbolic that in coming to Christ and coming to baptism, you threw off the, 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 the ways of the world. You threw off the garments that had previously defined you, and you prepared to be clothed in something new. So you would strip off the clothes, you would receive baptism, and then of course when you would come out of the water, you would immediately be clothed again, but this time it was in a different garment. It was often in a robe, in a white robe, to, to symbolize that, 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 um, uh, the, the purity of, of Christ and, and this new beginning. But it was to shed one thing, to, to take on another, to shed the ways of the old self to put on and to be clothed in the new self in Christ. And, and that's what, what Paul says to the church in Romans 13, 14. He says, clothe yourself in Christ. And to do that is to say that, that you must cast off one thing to prepare to put on another. You know, it, it's the sense of, of changing clothes and and to to cast off to 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 cast off clothing it was it was a much more more significant thing in the ancient world than it is to us i mean think about it we we change clothes all the time some of you will have three different outfits today you'll have your your church clothes you'll have your after church clothes you may have clothes for something a few weeks a few months ago my goofball son who's sitting down here sent a picture and he was wearing like shorts and a t-shirt, like a white t-shirt, and he might have had his socks hiked up. And he said, look, it's dad's Sunday afternoon outfit, <laughs> which was my napping outfit, you know, because they, you know, went after church when I crash. And, and he was mocking me is what he's doing, so I'm getting back at him right now. But, but the idea is, that, you know, there's certain things that you put on for certain occasions, and Paul says to us that, that we need to be clothed in Christ, but, but first you need to take something off. You, you need to, to take off the, the old garments. And, and so in verse 5 of the, the chapter that I read, I didn't read these verses, but he says, he gives this instruction. Before he's talking about being clothed in Christ, he says, he doesn't even say take off. He says put to death. The language is much stronger. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Take those garments off. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Later on, he says, rid yourself as of anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language. Do not lie to one another. He, he says, I want you, to, want you to take these things off, these, these characteristics, these, these uh, qualities or, or behaviors and practices, 
in and put on something new. And, and it is an intentional invitation. It is, it is saying that you need to, to be kind of intentional about thinking about who, who you're going to be. Because the ways of, of Christ don't come naturally. I mean, you think about it. We, every day when you get up and you get dressed, it's an intentional act. You walk into a closet and, and you have however many options that you happen to keep in your closet. I know that varies for every one of us. But we make a decision based on how we want to present ourselves that day, what we're going to put on. The, the, the clothes that we wear to church say something about us, about, about you know, whatever it is that, that is our nature and our character and, and our preferences. Sometimes it's just preferences. And so I can look out there and I can tell things about you based on what you're wearing. And you can for me. And you go in different places. You go in some churches, and, and immediately you can get the flavor of, of the, the community based on the, uh, the clothing that is worn. Whether it's a, a high church where people are dressed to the nines, or it's a, a beach church where people are in flip-flops and, and you know, shorts. That, that it's, it's an intentional thing, and we do that for every aspect of our lives. Well, well Paul would say to us that, that our decision to be clothed in Christ, to take on the character of Christ, is and has to be very intentional because it doesn't come naturally. And we're getting ready to get into a season where, where resolutions become the big thing. And, and thinking about the future, it's a, it's a natural um, tendency with the, the dawn of a new year, and as John said this morning, a new decade. But, but the reality is that, that resolutions don't stick unless there's a resolve behind it. You know, resolutions, if, if, if it's just a surface-level thing, if there's not some real hard and some why behind it, then, you know, you go to the gym for two weeks, and then you don't go back again. Or the, uh, you know, you, you stock the fridge with vegetables and fruits, and a few weeks later, it's back to, you know, candies and soda, or whatever the, the, the habits are. Because too often, you know, we haven't dug deeper. They're surface-level things. Martin Luther King Jr. in one of his sermons said that, that you can't legislate morality. You can legislate behavior, but you can't legislate morality or, or somebody's heart. You know, that, that becomes much deeper. And what Paul says, I mean, he, he, he lists these kind of behaviors that really aren't natural for us. Forgiveness. And, and compassion, for some of us, are not natural tendencies. Um, humility and, and kindness. I mean, it should be, but, but for some of us, we have to work at it. And that's okay. It's okay if we have to work at it. Because, because Paul wants to remind us, and, and the early church reminds us, and, and the scriptures remind us that, that the work of Christ isn't just salvation. It is First and foremost, we're thankful for the salvation we have through faith, but, but the work of Christ is transformation. You know, be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that, that, that God works in faith to, to make us new, new creations. 
And we do that intentionally. We, we, we allow God to work. We, we engage in that. We invite Jesus into the process. When Paul says, be clothed, I, I have this image that day to day, I mean, every day you have to go to your closet or your wardrobe and you have to decide, what am I going to wear today? What am I going to put on? Well, Paul would say to us, every day we make that same decision spiritually. Who are we going to put on? Are we going to intentionally decide in this day to commit our behaviors and our practices and our responses and our habits to the way of Jesus? Are we going to, to let the words that we speak in faith be evidenced by the, the lives that we lead, the, the character that we exhibit, the, the choices that we make? I mean, I was thinking about this. Each week in Advent, we, we lit a candle. Each week we talked about these gifts of, of Jesus. We talked about the gift of hope and peace and joy and love. And, and that, that's wonderful. But as we now leave that season, as we move beyond Christmas, this time when, when these qualities just seem so much more prevalent, we seem to embody them so much more intentionally in this window of time that we call Advent or, or Christmas. We, do we continue to live into that? Does it, does it take root? Do we, do we engage in it intentionally? Because it doesn't come naturally for a lot of us. We have to decide to allow God to work and to invite God to do the work of transformation so that these qualities, these articles of clothing, kindness and compassion and forgiveness, become the habit of our lives. You know, habits take time to develop. And if you're trying to get up at 5 o'clock every morning and you're used to sleeping in till 8, it takes time. That first few mornings, it doesn't happen naturally, but you stick to it. You practice it day in and day out. And all of a sudden, it becomes second nature. You get up at 5 a.m. even when you don't want to. You know, because it's, it's become part of your, the, the character, the rhythm of your life. Well, our, our, our calling is to that compassion and generosity and forgiveness and love, it's not a choice. It becomes second nature because of the transformation of Christ. Who are you wearing? And when we do, it's not just for you. It's for us. Paul talks about that, that you'll have unity. And in fact, in some translations, he says that, that you will have harmony. And, and I was thinking about that. I, I have to learn about music secondhand. And what I mean by that is, is, is if you worship here, you know I'm not musically talented. You know, Ryan's talent does not come from his father. It definitely comes from his mother. It comes from his grandfather. It does not come from his dad. It's, it's not a gift. But I get, to, I get to watch. I get to learn just through watching what they do and, and listening to conversations. And Tony very often will, will come back from a, a praise band rehearsal. And she'll talk about a song that they're working on. And she'll use a term that, that's unfamiliar to me. But she'll say, it took me a while to find the harmony. Now, those of you that sing, probably that resonates with you. To find the harmony. And the way I interpret that is, is melody comes much easier. Melody is what we're familiar with. It's not easy for me, but for some of you, you can get the melody. But to find the harmony takes intentionality. It takes the intentional blending of voices. It takes work. It takes engagement. It's not natural. 
But when it's present, it's beautiful. It's not natural, but it's beautiful. And, and Paul calls the church, he says to us that, that we're to live in harmony. And, and we have to work at that. We, we do. We have to, to, to practice and, and, and to invite God into each moment, each day, so that we can find harmony. Why is that important? Because when we live in harmony, we strengthen our witness to the world of what Christ does. I saw a quote, maybe one of you posted it on, on Facebook, I don't even remember. I saw it briefly and then it kind of came back to me this week, so I don't know who or where I'd seen it, but it was a, it was a quote from, um, from Andy Stanley, and I, and I couldn't find it, so I don't know if I have all the, the wording exactly right, but I thought it was pretty powerful, all the same. And, and he said that wouldn't it be wonderful if, while the world may be skeptical of what we believe, if they, were, if they were encouraged or attracted to the way that we lived. Well, they may be skeptical to the, what we believe if, if the world was attracted to the way that we live. And he talked about, and he linked it to the verse in John 13 where Jesus says, they'll know you, they'll know you belong to me if you love one another. And he said, wouldn't it be wonderful if they saw in us our ability to one another, one another. To love one another to one another. And if we could one another them as well. And the idea is that we live that kind of love so that people wanted to be our co-workers. People wanted to be our neighbors. Because in us they saw integrity. Integrity as that consistency between the things that we say and the way that we live. That we one another, one another with compassion and kindness and forgiveness, and love that, that ties it all together. As we begin a new year, as we think about a new season that's on us, or upon us, our challenge, I think our, our invitation is to daily put on Christ. To invite God into the moments to transform what is natural into what is faithful. And so I invite you to work on it, to work on it every day. And I will do the same because it absolutely does not come natural for me. I invite you in the moments when you pick the wrong line at the grocery store and everybody else is moving and you're not, to ask God to work in you to create a patient heart. I ask you in January and February and March when you're on I-75 and you're in bumper-to-bumper traffic, to invite God to teach you to live into patience. And I will, close your ears, Tony, I will try to do the same. I invite you when you've told somebody or you've given somebody advice and they've not taken it and things have gone south because they just didn't listen to what you told them. When you're tempted to share the I told you so moment, I invite you to practice and put on humility, to just remain silent and let the moment pass. I know, I see some of you looking at each other, all right? And nobody harder than the look I'm getting right now myself. 
Because again, why? It doesn't come naturally. It just, it doesn't. When the anger's rising, when somebody has, has pushed your buttons and they've, they've behaved poorly toward you, to not react with rage, but to dig deep and, and ask God for the transforming power that allows you to show forgiveness. This is what Paul's asking the church to be. This is who he's saying that we're to be because that's what harmony and unity looks like. And again, it doesn't come naturally every day. You choose to put on your clothing. Every day, we're invited to choose to put on Christ and to begin to to allow that transforming power to be at work within us. So I'm kind of laying the gauntlet down. In a new year, I'm asking you as I'm asking me to work at it, to find the harmony and to begin to, to take off one thing so that we can put on another so that the world won't have to ask us who are we wearing because our behavior will make it clear. We follow Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your patience with us. Everything that you call us to be is is who you are. You show us forgiveness, and, and you show us compassion, and you humbled yourself, and you've loved us unconditionally. These are the, the characteristics of Christ, and your Holy Spirit's at work within us, and you allow us to, to, to live into those too, that we would be a little like Christ each day, a little more like Christ every day. So, Lord, we embrace the opportunity, and we just ask you to to help us to work at it so that we can live in harmony and be the witnesses to the world of what it means to follow Jesus. This is our prayer. We ask it in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. And so Jesus reminds us that on this journey... He is with us, and Jesus gives us a meal to experience each time the unique presence of his Holy Spirit. And so, as he gave it to his disciples, so he gives it to us. And we remember that on the night in which he uh, was betrayed, the night in which he gave up his life, he uh, gathered in the upper room with his disciples, and he took bread, and he gave thanks to God, and he broke it. And he gave it to him and said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. And Jesus took the cup and he gave it, or he gave thanks to God and he gave it to him and said, this is my blood of a new covenant. It's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Friends, let us pray. Gracious Lord, on these gifts, bread and juice, we ask your spirit to bless, to move. That as we prepare to come to the table, that this would be so much more to us. That the bread would remind us of the broken body, the the blood of the, or the juice of the shed blood, in which we find our forgiveness. But through your Holy Spirit, we also experience transformation. And we are invited to become more like Jesus each day. Lord, help us to do that, to live your love and, and to share your good news, not just in the words that we speak, but more powerfully in the the actions of our lives. And Lord, help us to be faithful to that. Till one day we will enter your kingdom. One day we will step into your perfection. But until that time, 
strengthen us by your presence and unite us in love and create in us a community of, of harmony that we would be a witness to the world to the goodness and the grace of Jesus. We ask this in his name as we give him all praise and glory now and forever. And let the people of God say, amen.